We're talking about values that make us who we are. Last week, we talked about one of our values is scripture. If you missed out, go to therockandp.com. You can listen on there. And we talked about how scripture matters to us so much that we will hold fast on to scripture. And it is our guide and absolute authority in everything. We believe that here at The Rock Church, that scripture is absolute truth. It is our guide. It answers most of our questions that we walk through in this life. And the reason why we're so radical about that is because culture speaks something so very very differently, so very differently. The biggest one right now is the S word, it's sex. Culture says you can, yeah, I saw a lot of ears perk up. That was really funny. Yeah, that's another sermon, maybe towards Mother's Day or something. We'll, t- we'll come to that one. But, uh, but this whole thing about sex, culture says, you know, you can spend sex wherever you want it. But the Bible says sex is actually value and it's something that needs to be cherished between a man and a woman under the covenant of marriage. And we believe that. And scripture talks a whole bunch more about why it's important, why we should abide by it, and why it's crucial for us, and why it's absolute truth. Today, we're talking about our next core value, and uh, the very last message of this series, we're going to talk about our vision and mission of our church. And so um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what matters. And the reason we're doing this is God is doing an amazing thing here at the Rock Church. Every Sunday we grow, not only physically, but also spiritually. It seems like, uh, like it's the new normal now that people are getting right with God every single Sunday. Uh, if you kind of peek around, if you after church here, if you don't leave so fast, you actually get to see conversation take place. People praying for one another. Uh, people give their hearts to Jesus Christ every single Sunday here. And it's amazing. Come on, we you guys give it up for God, what God is doing here. It's an amazing thing, what God is doing in this place. And not only in this place, but it seems like a lot of churches in the North Platte community. And the reason I'm really excited about this is because God is on the precipice of doing something amazing in our community. We really believe that. I gather with other pastors in our community. Everyone's churches are growing. Uh, We get together for a Good Friday service to kind of bridge the denominational barriers, saying, hey, it's not about the denominations. It's actually about Jesus Christ is king and our Lord, and he's waiting to come back to take us home again. And when we do this, the spirit is released. I know it sounds very Pentecostal, very charismatic, but God is on the verge of doing something amazing here in our community, and he's going to allow the rock to be a part of it. In fact, he wants us to be a part of it. And so when this is going, a lot of opportunities will come up. And my wife and I were praying, like, hey, we got to kind of get laser focused. Like, what does God want us to do? What is his mission, his vision for our church? And we came down to these five core values. And that's why this series is called What Matters, because this is what we believe what matters to us, what matters to the Rock Church. And so this title of today's series is called The Lost Matter, The Lost Matter. Matter, meaning those who are far from God, those who have walked away from God, and those who don't even know God, they matter to us. In fact, they matter so much, this is kind of statement with this, is we believe lost people matter to God, therefore lost people matter to us. We will search out our community for the lost, the overlooked, and the forgotten, and we will do anything short of sin to invite them into God's house. And I know that sounds super radical because it really is. Like, really, Vaughn, like anything short of sin, you better believe it because let me tell you, God went to the measures of killing, of hanging his own son on the cross to get you into relationship with him. God went to that extreme so that you could be found in his eyes. And so I think to say we will do anything short of sin 
I think it matches God's heart. In fact, we're going to be talking about that today. I came here again about four and a half years ago, going to be five years in April to lead this church. And um, there was a few words that were spoken over our ministry. If you guys were here at my ordination service, a lot of this stuff will sound familiar. Um, but a lot of you guys don't know this. Um, but when I was being ordained, uh, a few things um, were given to me, a lot of uh, what we call prophecies, which is not weird. It's not fortune telling. It's nothing awkward. All it is is words that God has proclaimed over myself and the ministry and this church. And But one of the things that were spoken uh, to me is that our church were going to be filled with people from the edge of our society. That our church was going to be filled with people from the outskirts of our society. And the reason why that was a big deal is because a lot of churches, they kind of go, they, they kind of have their target market. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but there is some branding and some strategy behind churches and church plants. And usually they have a target market. They, they want young families in the professional realm of business. That's kind of what a lot of churches go for. And that's great, and they do a good job. But our church, they really believe that people are going to be drawn to this church and those people who are going to be drawn are from the outskirts of society. In fact, one of the things that was given to me was a knitted beanie, uh, which didn't fit my head because I got a big old head. And um, Moses beanie says, this is going to, I have it in my office, is like this is going to be a representation of who's going to be coming to your church. It's going to be the overlooked. It's going to be the lost. And it's going to be the forgotten. And so we've been praying about this. We've been chewing about this. And we really believe the lost people matter to God. Therefore, they're going to matter to us. And there's a story that's going to illustrate this in Luke chapter 14. If you guys want to open up there, we'll go to Luke chapter 14. I'm going to talk about it, read a little bit, and then we'll jump to Luke uh, 15 and 16. But this is where we pick up. Jesus is eating a dinner with a group of Pharisees. And these guys were very serious uh, about keeping the religious law. That's who these Pharisees were. They kept the law to an extreme level, so much so that the law they were keeping was good, but they missed the heart of God. And really, that's what religion is. It's, it's where you're, you abide so much by the law that you actually miss the heart of God, and, and you're more worried about the law than actually what God wants to do in your community. And these Pharisees were exactly like this. And so Jesus gets on the scene, and Jesus is re, uh, breaking all these religious laws left and right, ministering to people. And people loved him for doing this stuff. And Jesus was known for uh, uh, miracles of reproducing food out of thin air. So people, if you're hungry, you go to Jesus. Why? Because he can give you fish and bread just out of nothing, right? And so Jesus also known to heal. So if you're sick or lame or blind, like you go to Jesus. So Jesus was establishing uh, this mass group of followers and the Pharisees weren't liking it because they thought the law was super important. And the law was important, but they would choose the law over meeting the needs of people and the business of God is people. Someone say amen. And so they were missing this, and they're like, hey, people are going to be following Jesus more, and they are, and they're not really following us. People actually are disliking us. Like, what's happening? And so they needed to get rid of Jesus. And we see right on from the early starts of Jesus' ministry that this group of Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in a trap where they can turn the people against Jesus and kill him. So, they, so at this point, they're thinking, hey, we're going to get Jesus to come over to dinner, and we're going to eat dinner with them, but we're going to invite someone who's sick. And so they invited a man, and he had this uh, illness called dropsy. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's when water fills uh, the muscle fibers in the tissue, and it's a very painful, painful illness that this guy had. The thing that's funny about this is these dinner parties were only reserved for the Pharisees. They wouldn't invite anyone. There was no women, there was no children, and certainly no sick man. But they thought, hey, if we bring this guy to dinner with us, and if Jesus chooses not to heal him, we can tell everyone, that, the people that follow Jesus, we can tell them, hey, Jesus didn't heal this guy. He has no mercy. You don't want him. Or if he chooses to heal the guy on the Sabbath, 
that he's breaking the religious law. Well, kind of fast forward, if you guys can read the story, Jesus actually heals the man. And the reason why this is huge is because we see the great lengths that Jesus goes to. And then Jesus tells a great story that I believe has shaped my ministry. And he shares a story to give them the heart of God of actually who does Jesus invite to the dinner table? So if you guys pick up here in verse 16, it says this. It says, Jesus replied with this story. He's replying to the Pharisees. The man was just healed and he left. It says, Jesus replied with this story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. Really put a finger there. The reason why we need a little more history on this point is because during these times, what they would do is they would kill a fatted calf. So they'd make this calf really fat and it was gonna make really good beef and they'd have a really good barbecue. But before that, they didn't know how long the process was going to do, so they would go out weeks before and say, hey, on January 25th, we're going to have a barbecue at my house. Can you make it? And they're like, yeah, of course we can make it. And in this custom, like says today, your word is your bond. You don't break your word. So if you're going to go to the party, you better go to the party. So the day the party comes, it says, hey, let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and kill the fatty calf or start this barbecue. You guys, my servants, go out and tell them the party is ready. So this is what happens. The servant goes out, and they began to make excuses. Another said, um, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, go quickly to inside into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still a room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find so that the house will be full. In this story, we have three characters. Three characters. We have the master, who is Jesus, represents Jesus. We have the servant, who represents us. And we have the people that are invited to the table, which are the lost and the forgotten and the overlooked. The reason why this is important is because a lot of times we think Jesus' dinner party, if you were to throw a dinner party, or Jesus' table, or heaven, is reserved for the best of the best. Those who seems to get their life together. Those who would clean up their act before they actually come to the dinner party. But we read this story and we actually catch the real heart of God. And the heart of God is this. The dinner party is open for everyone. It's not just for the prestigious. It's not just those who are in business. It's not just those who think that they have it all together. In fact, Jesus says, I didn't come to heal the ones who are already good to go. I come to get the sick. And we see the heart of God go out to the highways and byways. Let me put it this way. We see the heart of God send his servants to go underneath the, over, or the overpasses, to go to the Lincoln Connection, to go on the north side of the tracks, to go into those neighborhoods that we tell our kids, don't go there because you don't know what might happen. The heart of God is telling his servants, hey, you need to invite them to my dinner table. And this is what we're going to be talking about, because I really think we read this, and it's easy to say yes and amen, but here's the thing. The master sends the servants out to go get those people. 
The master didn't stay back and say, hey, servants, you stay here. I'm going to go ahead and get them. But he sends his servants, which represents us. We are the messengers that are supposed to go to the highways and byways to invite people to the dinner table. And I'm telling you, if the church neglects this, the church will not last for the next generation. It won't. We have to be a church that's willing to go out of our comfort zone to be that servant and go to the highways and byways and invite people to God's dinner party. In fact, if you jump forward, uh, you can go to Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus actually established this in three different parables. And the reason he had to tell three different parables is because the first parable didn't get the message across of how much the loss mattered to God. We're going to go to every single one of these. And today, I want you to see yourself as a servant. And as a servant, the messenger of God, these are the three things that we as the Rock Church are going to do with the lost because they truly matter to us. So as a servant of the store, we're going to do three things because the lost man. The first one is this. As a servant, point number one, we're going to seek the lost. We're going to seek the lost. And that sounds so elementary, doesn't it? Because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, of course, we, we do that. But we actually are not intentional in seeking those who are far from God. It's not in our Christian character. In fact, I can tell you what we do is that once we do find God, we find, other those, we find those who are already found in God and we form our kind of our God-founded country club. And we say, if you act this way and you sign these rights and you meet these expectations and you dress this certain way and if you speak this way and you better not drink or smoke or date boys or girls that do or anything like this, then by all means, you can't be here unless you get your act cleaned up because it impedes on our comfort zone. And what happens is when we start hanging out with those who are exactly like us, we actually start this toxic relationship with one another and we kind of turn up our noses when someone else is brand new from the hedges of society that enters our church. And so as the Rock Church, we have to be intentional in seeking the lost. And the reason I know we have to do this is because I see Jesus. Jesus never runs away from the lost. In fact, he runs to them. He never runs away from them. He always runs to them. We always seek the lost. In fact, he's so radical on seeking the lost. Luke 15, 1, it says this. It says, uh, the first line is amazing. It says, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I say the word notorious sinner, you have someone that pops in your mind. You know who they are. Like, oh, I know who you're talking about. You might be in the hot sheets that you read yesterday. I don't know. But again, the tax collectors, the thieves, and notorious sinners were hanging around Jesus. And the reason why it's so big is because we are a society that says, hey, I don't want to be guilty by association. Like, we can meet in secret. I can, I can pray for you. But beyond that, I can't be seen with you. Now, I'm not saying, hey, after this, we're going to go to the bars. We're going to go to all these places. And then we're going to minister. If that is you, do it by all means. We have people in our church that do that intentionally. But God will put you in places where the sinners are rampant. And he's going to do it on purpose. 
And while you may feel uncomfortable, God has put you the brightest light in the darkest places. And he has a job for you. But he goes on, he says this, this is talking about we seek the lost. He said, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Uh, Just a side note, if religious people are complaining because you're hanging out with sinners, you're probably doing something right. Uh, Verse 3, he says, then Jesus told them this story. He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he founds it, will he joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's so much joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The sheep in the story represent those who have strayed from Jesus and don't know Jesus. And it's a picture of what Jesus will do to go search after the lost sheep. In fact, he's given this picture so that we can see as servants inviting people to God's dinner party, what should we do? Like, God, how radical should I be in this? Like, when you say reach the lost, like, what do you really mean? Like, how far do I go? And he's saying you go as far as leaving the 99 others who are already found and they're safe, and you go after the one. My, uh, um, my father-in-law is a rancher in Crawford, and he raises cattle, and there's a, a season that gets really busy uh, around the late winter throughout spring. It's called calving season. It's a very busy season for ranchers. If you're a rancher, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And during this season, uh, my father-in-law does some really ridiculous stuff to ensure the safety of the delivery of this calf and to make sure it stays alive till throughout the spring and summertime. And ranchers, they are extreme about this. I mean, I'm not a rancher, I'm a hunter, but I'm a fair weather hunter. Like, I, I want a goose blind with a grill in there, and I want a heater on top of that, and like, I'm muddled up, and I'm good to go. Like, I'm pretty warm. And if it's really cold, I'll just stay home with my family, right? That, that's me. But my father-in-law, he'll know that a cow is pregnant, and she's about to give birth, and he says, you know what, I, I gotta stay up all night tonight, and I have to make sure this mama cow delivers this calf safely. Which doesn't seem like, okay, pull up an all-nighter. But guess what? It's 30 below outside. There's hungry coyotes all around that's waiting for this calf to drop, freeze to death so they can eat it. Like, it, it, it is a not good condition to give birth. All the moms are like, thank God we have delivery rooms. Amen, right? But my father, he will go out there in negative 30 degrees, break water, pull the calf, put on gloves. He has no gloves. He'll just use his bare hands. Put it in crevices that they do not belong and pull this calf out, make sure the calf stands up, make sure it connects with its mama, and does all of this, no matter the condition, to ensure the safety of this newborn calf. And I think it's a perfect picture of what God will do to seek those who are far from them. But the catch is, the master sends his servants to do this work. If I can put it this way, it might sound super cliche, and I'm kind of flying... This is not my notes. But we're kind of the ranch hands of God. And he's telling us, it doesn't matter the condition of the weather or what your comfortable area is. You don't want to get dirty. You might have to put on some coveralls and put on the muck boots. 
And you're going to have to go to places where it might be uncomfortable to reach those who are far from God and ensure their safety in Jesus' arms. And the kick is, is you and I are the servants. And we have to seek the lost. We have to be intentional. We have to know that, hey, that, that person, I know they don't know God, so I'm going to keep tabs on them. And I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to know who they are. I'm going to get to know them. One of the coolest things is there's a gal over at Gary's that works there all the time. And um, she has uh, a really bad problem with alcohol. And she's at the point now where she can't operate fully unless she's under the influence. It's a very horrible, horrible state. And so I'd go through her line first just because, you know, no one would go through her line because she's loud and likes to talk. And I'm like, I just need my food. Let me just let's go through here. Keep going through there. Keep going through there. And finally, I go there enough. She's like, hey, you come here every time for, like, lunch. That's hence why I gave him a lot of weight because I eat Gary's Deli food, all right? But she's like, you come here a lot. Like, 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 where do you work? And I'm like, do I have to tell you? I... Yeah, I'm the pastor of the church over there. You're a pastor? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor. My shoulder really hurts. I need some prayer really bad right now. Like, right now, I just want my chicken tenders and my barbecue sauce. I'm like, I'm... And, I, and, and, and my, the thought did pass in my mind, like, hey, you can do the whole, like, hey, sure, I'll pray for you. I'll go to my office where I can pray in peace and quiet and really hear the still voice of God. And, like, I, and it'll be good to go. But something urged in me and says, hey, this is who's going to come to your church one day. And it could be this point where she makes that decision. And so I prayed for her. And I don't know what happened to the shoulder. But now she knows me as Pastor Vaughn. Every time I come in, she says, hey, Pastor Vaughn, how are you doing? Every time I come in. Why is this important? It's because there might be a day where she might walk into this building. Or there might be a day where she says, hey, Vaughn, let me know a little bit more about Jesus in one of the random grocery aisles. And it doesn't happen unless you are okay being intentional and being guilty by association and being with the lost because, because the lost matter. If you're comfortable in staying with just other Christian people, we need to get to a point where we see what would Jesus do? And we see that Jesus would leave the comfortableness of knowing that, hey, I'll cut my losses, I'll keep the 99. That one, he wandered off, they're a loss, they're the outskirts of society, cut my losses, they deserve what they deserve, I'm gonna keep with my 99. And Jesus says, no, that's not good enough. Let me tell you, church, the lost are valuable to God and we are this shepherd in the story. We're the rancher in the story. We must seek out the lost and go the extra mile and do all that we can to bring them into the safe arms of Jesus Christ. And this is our calling as a Christian. This is our calling. This is not a spiritual gift. This is not a personality type. This doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert. Jesus says, hey, do you know what? If you are found in me, you need to go out, spread the good news to the ends of the earth. It's called the Great Commission. And this is what we're called to do. And so we seek the lost. Point number two is we search until they're found. We search until they're found. More times than not, most people will be all for seeking the lost. I don't think none of us will argue about that. But when we realize the task is much more than just saying, hey, Jesus loves you, and expecting them to have a radical life change, which that can't happen. I've seen it happen. But more times than not, it doesn't happen. 
It takes a process and it requires the church to do things that might seem counter or unorthodox to what we've been taught throughout the centuries of church. The people are more than likely to give up the search and rescue mission. If it means that we might do something different than what we've been taught, we'll give up the rescue mission and we'll forget about them. But Jesus will search until they're lost. Now, really quick, I mean to say this. We will always preach the gospel. Every time. We'll preach the absolute truth because scripture matters to us. However, we are not religiously holding on to the methods we use. If there's one day that God says, Vaughn, you need to have a metal band up there to reach the hard rockers out there, then guess what? We're going to do it. Angie will have to brush up on metal piano, but we'll figure out a way to do it. But God wants us to reach the lost, and we're going to search until they're found. I think more times than not, we Christians, we kind of just give up, and we kind of pat ourselves on the shoulder saying, hey, they'll never change, or that's just how they are, or I guess God will have to deal with them. All the entire time, we don't put any effort that is beyond our own comfort zone. One of the coolest outreaches we have ever done as a church, it was about a year ago, and we're going to actually do them more this next year, is we went to a trailer house, we brought two inflatables, and we served hot dogs. And let me tell you, you want to have an outreach? That was probably one of the best ones that we had. And you're wondering, well, it's inflatables and hot dogs. What would you do, just chill around and eat hot dogs? Yes. But let me tell you, we did more prayer and more witnessing in that little two-hour time span than what we've ever done in this church. And we have people that come to our church now on a regular basis because of that. People are life-changed, and people know that there's people in this church that will go on beyond their comfort zone to spread the love of Christ to them. We have people that attend our church specifically because we're willing to go do that. And we're going to be a church that we're going to seek these people, seek the lost until they are found. There's another parable called the parable of the lost coin that we're going to read. And we need a little bit of history to understand this. I've always read the parable of the lost coin of a young lady that had 10 coins in her purse and she lost one. And so she freaks out and needs to find this. But I did a little studying and I found out why this coin was so important to this young lady. After studying... This story is actually something very different. The story is about 10 silver coins. And when a young Jewish girl gets married, she would have a headband of 10 silver coins and wear it around her head. And what it was, it was that day's wedding ring. Kind of like our wedding ring here. We have the big old diamond and like it's not good if we lose it. So this lady, she had the kind of this wedding band with 10 silver coins. And to lose one would bring a lot of shame. Just a lot of shame. Not only just, hey, you lost something very precious, but now like, you, like you've lost the coin, like good for you. Now you don't have a complete wedding band. What are you going to do? And so this lady loses it. And this is what the parable describes the whole situation. Verse eight, it says this. It says, or suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors, say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, and even one sinner repents. Uh, we were at Black Friday, 
uh, coming back the day after Thanksgiving. And we don't, we don't, we're not, we're not big Black Friday people, um, but we'll go to sales like, you know, after the whole chaos is done about three in the afternoon. So we went there, we went to Walmart and we, uh, I'm a very tech guy. So we went in the back and I want to see if there's any, you know, TVs or whatever for sale. And so we go back there and there's this lady that was just like freaking out. And I thought it was a little weird, and she, there was this massive bin of fake flowers, just individual fake flowers, probably tens of thousands of flowers in this bin. And she's just, she's tearing them up, going, like, throw them over her shoulders, tearing them up. And I'm like, she must really want a flower. And so, and I keep walking, and I tell Jill, I'm like, hey, there's this, this lady. She's, like, freaking out, and I don't know what's happening. I don't know if the you know, security's there. Or, but, man, like, it's just ridiculous. So any, like, good person, Christian I am, we want to snoop. So we go back. Don't judge me. You do the same thing. Okay? So we go back there. I'm like, what's this lady doing? So we go back there. And this, like, she was throwing flowers when I first got there. Now, there are thousands of flowers all over the TV aisle. It's just crazy. And she gets to the very bottom, and she pops out of the flower bin and gives this associate this really big hug. And they start laughing, and they start crying. I'm like, what in the world goes on? Like, what's what's happening here? And so she, we kind of snoop in and get a little closer, and she slips this massive diamond onto her wedding finger. And the story is, is that she was looking for a flower and the wedding band was just a little bit too big and she didn't know where she lost it in Walmart. And she, she knew that she was digging through this flower bin and she was just praying to God that this ring was in this bin. Now, what did that whole thing cost her? Well, one, she looked ridiculous. <laughs> Throwing flowers everywhere, right? She probably embarrassed herself the kids were hiding in the car, so like, oh, mom, just stop. And she lost her wedding ring. But she didn't care. She was going to search out this wedding ring until it was found. And she'll flip over the entire store of Walmart until it is found. Jesus wants us to do the same. It would be easy to chalk it up, well, it's lost, or I'll just get another one. Or, uh, I'll just cut my losses. Just like it would be easy for us as we seek the loss to say, that's just how they are. They'll never change. Well, they're in the hot sheets this many times, so what's the point? Jesus doesn't care. He'll flip out the entire store of Walmart. He'll flip over the entire house to find the lost coin, to find the lost person. I would argue this. We're supposed to go through our entire community, overturn anything in any dark spaces of North Platte, even if it just means to find the one. Because the one matters to God. And the one matters to God, then the one matters to us. And I know this is super, super radical. And I know it's very extreme. And this might mean, church, for those who have been here in a while, this might mean we might have a group of people that need to smoke a cigarette outside before they come in. And your kids might ask, hey, what's going on? That is your moment to say, well, guess what? Jesus loves them so much that they're here at church today. This might mean we have, might have church members that might be in the hot sheets, and that's Okay. And this might mean someone got their life and their act together, but in the next week, we didn't know what happened. And so we have to go through the process all over again. But it's okay. 
because we're willing to go through that mess because Jesus went through that mess to get to us. We have to seek until they're found. Again, the lost matter, just as much as the lost coin to the Jewish bride, just as much as the wedding ring to the woman at Walmart, Jesus will search until they are found. We search until the lost is found, and we must do that with the lost in our community. And this is going to look a lot different for us through this new year. We're going to shake up our outreaches a little bit, and we're going to go into places that hopefully that we can have take some kingdom ground in and really preach the love of Christ. And I encourage you, if this is out of your comfort zone, this is where you need to be at. If this kind of says, I don't know what's going to happen, this is where you need to be at. Because someone back in my sophomore year was willing to do the same with all my addictions and all my issues that I had. And if that person did not go out of their comfort zone to reach a bratty, self-righteous, uppity-nosed, think-he-know-it-all, pornography addiction, lustful-hearted young man, I would not be here today doing what I'm doing right now. We have to be willing to go out and search until they're found and not give up. We can't give up. Why? Because the lost matter to God, so the lost matters to us. So we seek the lost, we search until they're found, and lastly, we're going to celebrate when they come home. We're going to celebrate when they find Jesus. The last parable of today, the last parable of, that Jesus says in Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. And the word prodigal is very interesting because I don't know if you guys ever translate this down, but in this original language, the word is actually wasteful. So this is a story of the wasteful son. And some of you, you might have a son or daughter who just wastes everything away. That no matter what you give them, it just, it just they squander it. And that's what this story is all about. Now, we're going to read about the coming home story, but to kind of give you just a, a little bit of history with this one is that there's this young guy who's just full of pride and arrogance and is super selfish and cares only about themselves and no one else, even at the expense of family. He wanted his inheritance, but his father was still alive. And at that time, just like it is today, is when you go to your father and your mother and says, hey, I want my inheritance right now, it's a little rude, especially this time, because he's pretty much saying, I don't care that you're even alive. I wish that you were dead so I can just go ahead and have my money. And that's what he's saying, but the father loved his son so much, he says, do you know what, I'm going to take a chance. Sure, take the inheritance and, 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 and do what you wish what you wanted to do with this. So the son takes all this money and he goes to that time of Las Vegas. He goes, he runs the farthest away, he squanders everything and he finds himself in this pig pen, just hungry. And he was so hungry, he had this thought, he saw what the pigs were eating and he thought, man, that, that, that slop looks really good right now. And the reason why this is important is because this was a Jewish man and to be even in a pig pen, was just unworthy, unclean. Pigs are, un you don't touch it. You have to go through a whole sacrificial system to even get clean from it. And this guy, he's in the pig pen. He's saying, I'm going to even eat what the pigs eat. He's at rock bottom. And he had this thought. He says, hey, do you know what? Even the slaves, the servants at my father's house are way better than I am. Maybe my dad would take me back. 
in spite of what I've done to him. And we pick up here Luke 15 and says, to illustrate the point further, again, these Pharisees were not getting it at this party. He says, Jesus told them this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share of my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all the money in wild living. About the time his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land, he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Then in verse 17, a light switch happened. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is a salvation statement right here. When we come before God saying, you know what, I've messed up. I'm not good. I've sinned against you. Would you make me clean? This is what that man was saying. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Church, we need to be filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, go and bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, kill the best calf we have been fattening, we must celebrate with this feast because for the son of mine was dead, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. You see, a lot of times I think churches, we expect the people, the, the wasteful people to come into our church and we want to see them come forward. We want them to be bawling on their face and that may happen, that's awesome. But then after they get up and they start walking this relationship with Jesus, also, we, we, I'm getting ahead of myself we put these expectations on them and say, hey, now that you have turned your heart to Christ, here's step one, two, three, four, and you better get these right. Because if not, you're gonna have to do this all over again. And we forget to celebrate what just happened. The church has lost this aspect of celebration. In fact, if you wanna know what the biggest business in heaven right now if you just read those three parables with me, it is the business of celebrating. Every one of these parables talked about even one sinner comes to the heart of God. The whole heavens rejoice. And they throw a party more for that one that is lost than the 91, 99 that are found. This is how serious this business is to God. Most of our outreach efforts stop when outreach is beyond our comfort zone. We never even get to this place of celebration. Verse 7 puts it simply. He says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 that are found. Put it in your own shoes. When you gave your heart to Christ, heaven exploded with a party. For each and every one of you in this room right now, didn't matter if you're 99 years old or you're five, four, three years old. It doesn't matter. When you gave your heart to Christ, heaven just erupted with applause. 
But there are so many people that have yet to experience this party, this celebration. And more times than not, we have waited in buildings like this thinking, you know what, they need to get here in order for that to happen. But that's not how it works. You see, the master sends the servants to go out and invite people in. He's asking you to go out and invite people in. And maybe you've been working with those people for a while and they come up with excuses. That's fine. That's all right. Go further. Invite those who are far from church and far from God. In your worship guides, you'll find a little invite card. Simple, it's, it's very simple. It has this, has our logo on it. It's got our times and our, the little map and the website and all the info that someone needs. This little card is step one of invitation. More times than not, we treat these like this is the level, this is the, the most I'm going to do to invite someone to God's table. Would you, would you come to Rock Church? Here's a card. You kind of throw it out through the McDonald's drive-through window at them and say, we'll see you next Sunday. That's it. This is step one of going out and saying, hey, I want to get to know you. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people you work for? The people that work under you? Do you know your coworkers? That estranged family member? Because every one of them matter to God. They're the lost sheep. They're the lost coin. They're the prodigal son or daughter that's waiting to come home. And let me tell you, that story we just read, it said that he saw the son from afar. The father would never saw his son coming home if he wasn't out on the porch waiting for him. You have to get this image in your mind. God is waiting for people to come into relationship with him. He's waiting. And he sent you to go out there and find them and bring them back. And we just offer just this little five by five card, three by three card, I don't know, to give us someone to say, hey, would you come to church with me? Because they matter to God. Because the lost matter to the Rock Church and the lost matter to God, they're gonna matter to us. And we're gonna go to the highways and byways and we're gonna compel them to come into this church. Let them know the love of Jesus Christ and we're gonna do anything short of sin to get them into the loving embrace of their father. And I know this was a super heavy message, but you need to know the extremes that we talked about, Jesus went to the extremes for you, to the point of death. You need to know there was a man that walked this world, perfect, never sinned once, died a death that he did not deserve, rose three days later to defeat the grave, death, and hell. Rise again so that you can know that you matter to God. Let's pray.